The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 6. I wanted to start this time together with some prayer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a good word for today. Let's take a few minutes and pray together. Heavenly Father, I look out at these uh, empty seats in front of me, and I miss my church. And I think of all the people that these seats represent, and I love these people, and I wish that we could be together. But we come before you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that uh, you are with each one of us, and you are a tie and a bind that nothing can break. And so we pray that as we are separated by distance, but unified in you. Uh, that your work would still be done in us. Lord, we pray that our love for one another would grow. Lord, we think of all the times, perhaps, that we took meeting together for granted, and today we miss it. We pray that you would stir up in us deeper and deeper a love for one another and a desire, again, to fellowship uh, when we are able. Lord, we pray for our world, for our nation, for the leaders making strategic decisions We ask you for wisdom. Father, we pray for mercy in the midst of what could be a health crisis, Lord. We pray for healing. Uh, We pray for relief. Lord, we know that we deserve far worse than this for our sins, but we thank you for the so, so many days of mercy and grace you have provided us with, and we ask for more. God, we pray for revival. We pray that Your people would see this time as an opportunity to trust you, to grow in you, and to give you glory um, as we are able to love our neighbor, love one another, and trust in you above all things during this time. Lord, we ask for this time now together as we try to look at your word um, through this live stream. We pray that it would be meaningful and helpful and encouraging. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon text for today is going to be Psalm 46. Psalm 46, if you have that in front of you, we're going to read that together. Psalm 46. This is God's word, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Psalm 46. It's good news for today because this week it kind of landed, didn't it? I don't know how it felt to you, but uh, this coronavirus moment uh, seemed far away for a little bit. It was stuff happening out there, and uh, this week, my life was deeply changed as the sports world dried up. Um, And as silly as that sounds, you realize, you know what, Uh, whatever your attitude towards the severity of this virus, the idea of it is changing our lives. We weren't going to get out unscathed or unaffected. There's a lot we don't know, obviously, still waiting to learn, but I think there's one thing most of us felt. In some way, our sense of security has been shaken. Our sense of security has been shaken. You know what security is. It's the sense of feeling safe, stable, free from danger or fear. Our hearts long for security, don't they? And we realize in these times we've lost some of that security. We've lost some economic security. Anybody feel that one this week? Stock market nose diving. We're wondering what's going to happen to the economy in general. We've lost some societal security. School, hobbies, even a church service, things we love canceled. We have some suspicion, maybe, some of you, towards government's healthcare system. Not only economic security, societal security, but also there's a sense of security that's lost when it comes to our health. Family, friends, perhaps vulnerable, in danger. The question of even our future in some ways, our future security is in danger. So it raises the question, doesn't it? Where are you going to go for security when your normal sources of security are shaken? Where are you going to look? Maybe you found yourself wondering, what am I going to rely upon? What am I going to trust in? And we tell ourselves everything will be back to normal. And in this case, maybe it will be. Maybe it will soon. Uh, but maybe not. And you know, one day, death even reminds us, doesn't it? One day, everything won't be back to normal. The security of this world will be lost. And so we, uh, we sit here today in one of those moments where the, where the light turns on and you wake up to the reality you should have known, but maybe you, you, didn't really, you weren't really tasting. And the reality is this. This world provides no true security. I was thinking of uh, an illustration for the security this world can provide, and this is the one I came up with. Uh, I have this on eBay, it's on sale for $29.99, and the bids are coming in already. Um, not really, of course, but, but you know if you've gone to the grocery store, uh, 
there's no toilet paper left. And you think, uh, how does hoarding toilet paper help you survive a virus? And of course, the answer is it doesn't. How does hoarding toilet paper help you love your neighbor? The answer is it, it doesn't. But why does it make you feel so good to have it? And some are saying, well, it gives us a sense, what, that there's something we can be in control of? There's something we can grab for our own good? But then you realize as you think about it, what security in times of crisis does toilet paper really provide? Not much. I think that's a great symbol for the security of this world. It doesn't provide much. And as you look through all the eras of history, you see times of crisis are not um, abnormal. They come regularly. And so we should know very clearly already that the security of this world is going to let us down. And therefore, we're in deep need of a greater security, of an ultimate security. And that's why I've chosen to look at Psalm 46 with you this morning, because I think in Psalm 46, we find that ultimate source of security. We find a security in this passage that can enable joy and peace and love that will never let you down, that will hold fast through any crisis, through any insecurity this world can bring. So I want to look at it with you today, hopefully encourage you with it today. We're going to see four things in this passage. Again, we're in Psalm 46. Four ways to find ultimate security. Number one, the refuge. Number two, the river. Number three, the resolve. And number four, the redeemer. The refuge, the, res the river, the resolve, and the redeemer. You see that uh, the context of this psalm is for moments when it seems like all security is lost. You see here different descriptions of when life securities are shaken. For instance, in the verse 2, the earth is giving way. So this thing you normally count on, this thing that's normally pretty trustworthy and faithful, even that now is shaking. Uh, you see the mountains falling into the sea. Uh, for an ancient city if, to be surrounded by mountains, that's a sense of security. And so now these grand, tall, immovable structures, they even are falling apart. Often for the ancient world, the ocean symbolized chaos. And now the waters are like the teeth of a beast, even chewing up things like the earth, the mountains, and so it's this sense that even the natural world is falling apart. Everything is falling apart. The psalm is written for times when the sources of our security are shaken to the core. So we know, we can sense, we can taste how this feels. You know what it's like to lose the security of a, of re of a relationship lost or a job lost or health lost, uh, normal patterns of life lost, and we feel shaken, uh, we feel wavering. 
So it's in these times we see, in these moments of insecurity, how badly we need a refuge. And Psalm 46 emphasizes to us, there is an ultimate refuge. As we see in verse 1, the text reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Think through uh, just a couple words with you. God is our refuge. Who's that? The creator, the judge, the sustainer, wise, good, faithful, that person. The one who knows all, the one who's eternal, the one who himself is never shaken, never insecure, never confused. That person, God. God is our, our, who is this? It's just the, it's the believing community, normal people like you and I who have put our trust in him. God is our, he, he's got his eyes on us, his attention is towards us. God is our refuge. What is a refuge? It's a place of security. It's a place to run into and be safe. It's a place of protection. So I ask, where's the only place to find security in times of crisis? Really, at any time. God. God is our refuge. Not only is he our refuge, he's our ready refuge. The text says he's a very present help in time of trouble. He's, he's on speed dial. He, he's right there. Uh, he knew you needed the help before you knew you needed it. Um, he's as close as a breath. He's, he's paying attention. He's not asleep at the wheel. He's not lost in a distant land. He's not hesitant or reluctant. He's right there ready to help in times of trouble. It's good to know that as God's people, we have never met trouble he was not ready to provide help in and refuge for. He's right there, our refuge, our help. Not only does he provide refuge, this idea of outward protection, he's our refuge and our strength so that we have inward sustenance, outward protection, inward sustenance. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So we can ask ourselves as we consider this, do you believe this right now? Do you trust this? Are you able to get your, the eyes of your heart off the toilet paper securities of this world and onto something strong? Our God, he's our refuge and our strength. This is such a powerful idea because we see in verse 2, it begins with this word, therefore. So something happens if you believe that God is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in trouble. Something happens in your heart. Look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not, what? We won't fear. Even though the earth gives way, we won't fear even as the structures of our lives fall apart. So you notice this is not some uh, TV evangelist fantasy where I could look at you and say, hey guys, everything's going to be okay. Uh, it might be okay in this situation, but that's not what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying, sometimes everything is not okay. You think of the history of Israel and everything those people have gone through, some of it horrific. The psalmist is not saying the mountains will never be moved into the sea. 
The psalmist is saying, you don't have to be afraid even when, even as the mountains are moved into the sea. Even when the worst happens, you don't have to be afraid. What's the opposite of being afraid? Courage. It's courage. You can have a peaceful courage in times of horrible crisis when you know that God is your refuge and your strength. I suppose somebody here might say, well, Matt, if God is our refuge and our strength, why did you cancel the service? Maybe some of you had that question. Uh, I, had the, I had the question as well. And um, I won't go into all the complicated details on this decision. But it ended up being something like this. Um, I would assume that even you, as you have God as your refuge and your strength, you still wear your seatbelt. And uh, even if I forget to wear my seatbelt, I'm certainly buckling my four-year-old into his seatbelt. And why would I do that? Love. Love. And we're reminded, aren't we, in contexts like these, that it takes courage to love. So you think of the idea of... Uh, you know, hoarding the resources. We're afraid. And so we, uh, we take steps out of fear. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a leader like that. I know you don't want to be people like that. But there's another kind of courage, and that's the kind that takes steps out of love. And I can tell you that for me personally, it took as much courage or maybe even more to cancel this service as it did to keep it going. But when you have God as your refuge, whatever you think the wisdom is for your life in all these situations, you can know that he will give you peaceful courage so that you can practically love even when it's difficult. That's the first thing we see in this text. God is our refuge. Now the river. Look at verse 4. The text says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. You know, if before we had this beastly ocean chewing up the earth and the mountains, it was a scene of chaos. Now all of a sudden, the scene changes, and you have this scene almost of serenity. There's this peaceful, beautiful river flowing through your city, and it makes you glad. It brings joy, it brings life, it helps you to thrive. Uh, it sounds like the Garden of Eden, all these internal resources right there in the middle of a city. You can imagine, can't you, that for an ancient city, say in the time of a siege, you had a good thing going for you if you had a river flowing through your city. You could say to the enemy, come what may, bring it. We have what we need here on the inside. You know, what's strange about this verse is an Israelite listening to this psalm would say, there's no river flowing through Jerusalem. There's, there's no river lapping the shores of our city. So how can the psalmist say there's a river that makes glad the city of God when there's no actual river in the city? 
Well, what do you think? Look at the text. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And the next line, the holy habitation of the Most High. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. So I'll ask you, what is the river, the source of joy, the source of peace, the source of gladness, the source of safety in the midst of God's people? The psalmist is telling you the river is the presence of God himself. So the city of Jerusalem could say with confidence, even though we have no actual river flowing through our city, we have the ultimate river in our city because we have God. You think of the holy habitation of the Most High, that's the temple right there, the the locus of God's holy presence on the earth. Sacrifices made for sins, God's forgiveness poured out, his covenant embrace of these people. Israel could say, we have God, he's our river, he's our satisfaction, he's our joy, he's our gladness, he's with us. So it's so beautiful to think of this idea that even though everything external feels like chaos, roaring waters, internally we had We have peaceful gladness and joy because God is with us. In fact, even if the earth gives way, we won't be moved. Even if the ground I'm standing on shakes, I don't shake because we have the river of the Lord's presence with us. The psalm is showing us, isn't it, that in a way God's people live in two worlds. You right now, you live in two worlds. There's an external world, life in this world, where there's no ultimate security, and everything will be shaken at some point. But there's this other world you live in, dominated by the presence and rule of God, ultimately seen where he abides today, and ultimately known when Jesus comes back, but it's true in the hearts of his people. We have the river within us, so that when everything outwardly is upside down. Everything inwardly can be at peace because of the river of the presence of our God. We have this great kind of promise in verses six to seven. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God who gives us the river of his peace internally is in complete control of the turbulence externally. He's in complete control. The one who is with us is our refuge, and the one who is our refuge is the one who's sovereignly orchestrating everything out there in all circumstances. God isn't trying to uh, get around his people and stave off the things he can't quite get a handle on. Oh no, he is the ultimate refuge because not only is he with us to satisfy us, he is in sovereign control of everything around us and is our sustaining river and protection through all of it. So we see the refuge, it's God, the river, the joy of his presence that no crisis can touch, a security that goes beyond anything life can bring, Now we'll look at the resolve, the resolve. Look at verse eight. Finally, the psalmist 
calls the people to a response of some sort. And in verse 8, the psalmist writes, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Behold. So what's he saying? Well, in times of crisis, in times of insecurity, all these events, all these troubling uh, news of woe grab our attention. We need to say stop sometimes and set our beholding somewhere else. And what does the psalmist tell you to look at? Come, behold, what? The works of the Lord. Come and behold our God and his sovereignty and what he's doing. Come and look and consider his resolve. That second part of verse 8, we see something pretty amazing. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought, what has he brought? Desolations. That'll give you pause for a moment. What did our God bring? Desolations. Is this psalm saying that God is so sovereign over the crisis that in a way he's actually the one who brought the crisis? That's exactly what the psalm is saying. He is sovereign over the crisis. He is sovereign over every virus and every place it goes. Sometimes we look at a crisis in the world and it feels like an accident. It's like God left the cookies in for too long and they got burning. Oh, what now? Uh, the, the God, uh, our God took a nap or he, or he uh, was distracted or um, he didn't care for a moment. And all of a sudden all these things burst out of nowhere and he's, he's late to the party saying, oh no, what, what to do now? Listen, we can be assured that the biblical God is nothing like that. There's nothing like that. He is absolutely in control of every crisis. Whoa, why? Well, this opens a lot of big, important questions. I can't obviously deal with all of them right now. But we know, don't we, that one thing God is doing in the midst of crisis is bringing justice. It's bringing justice. They stand often as just punishments on a rebellious, sinful human race. We've sinned and deserve his wrath. It brings to death and brokenness of all sorts, including natural disasters, including human disasters. And so some will ask, maybe you've asked, but wait, how can God let bad things like this happen to good people? It's a fair question. I want you to ask it. Just encourage you to not stop there. Chase it down. Maybe you'd want to ask the question too, who's good and why? How do you know that? <laughs> Maybe you would ask the question, not just who's good and how do you know that, but what is God like and what do we deserve from him? I have noticed that people who tend to ask how God can let bad things happen to good people, they don't often seem to notice God as much on good days. Have you noticed that? I, I've rarely had anyone come up to me and say, you know, I realized I've been totally ignoring God, and I wonder why he gave me another day of sunshine, success, 
and comfort? I've, I've never had anyone ask me that question. It's kind of like we think that good, normal, comfortable days are God's job. And he's like the president in the sky, and his major goal is to keep the approval ratings high. And you see in this psalm, that is not God's resolve at all. You realize in that case, God would exist for us and our pleasure. And we would judge him based on how he's acting. And that is a complete twisting of reality. God is not there Ultimately, for us, he's there for us as a help and a friend. But he's not there in order to please us. No, we're here to please him. He's the one who's just and sets the standard. He's the one who's glorious and holy and worthy. He's the one who's created us for a purpose, and we're the ones who have gone off the rails. In times of crisis, we need to remember things like that. Behold. The works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. Uh, The earth has seen many, many times of horrible trials. Um, They're a part of God's justice. They're also a warning and a reminder. The world has never seen a trial like it will when Jesus Christ comes back. Anything we've ever experienced here will be nothing compared to to then and there. And so these times have an opportunity to behold the works of the Lord, give us a sobriety and a pause, and help us to remember who God is and who we are before him. But God doesn't just bring desolations. You see, he also breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He wins the war, ultimately for the sake of peace. He judges the earth, ultimately to renew the earth. He not only uses a crisis for justice, he also can use it for grace. How many of you, your testimony goes like this? Uh, I was running from God, and God uh, helped me win the lottery, And become incredibly successful and famous. And that's when I knew I needed him. I've almost never heard a story like that. I hear stories like, I thought I was in control of my life. I thought everything was fine. And then I hit the crisis. And I realized I needed more than this world could provide. I needed a refuge. And so in the midst of my need, I sought God because he was seeking me. God uses the crisis for grace so that we see the reality of how much we depend on him and how much we need him ultimately to be our refuge. So now we begin to see what God is really up to. We see the resolve. Look at verse 10. Be still and know What does the world need to know? I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted on the earth. So those words, be still. You know, sometimes you see those words on a picture, maybe with some roses dappled with dewdrops, and it kind of feels like, be still, my child. I'm not saying that God doesn't comfort his people like that. He does. There's a river of God that brings joy and gladness. He sustains our hearts. But that is not how be still is used here. God is saying to the world, enough. Be still. It's like Jesus talking to the storm. Enough rebellion, enough evil, enough panic from the idolatry of finding your security in other things. Be still. Stop. Shh. And know something. And then you see it repeated. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. I am God. What does it mean in the Hebrew when something's repeated three times? It's emphasizing it. We remember in times like these, we are not little gods. We are not in control. And the things we've looked to for identity and security, not God, not in control. And we stop and we take a moment to remember who the real God is. And look at what his resolve is in the world. What is he after in all things? That he will be exalted. What does that mean? That means we see him for who he is and give him his rightful place and praise. You're God. You're the treasure. You're worthy. You're just. You're holy. You're good. You're the only refuge. Isn't this the kind of God you need in a time of crisis? A God who is both good and strong. A God with muscle and definition who's in control of all things for his glory. So this is what we've seen so far. The refuge, it's God. The river, it's God's joyful, peaceful presence with his people. The resolve, God is exalting himself for his glory. One last point to share with you. Look at verse 11. We see there that God often gives himself a strange name. What is that name? Do you see what he's called in verse 11? The God of Jacob. Uh, If you've been coming to Wednesday Bible study, you remember something about Jacob. Maybe if you've read through the scriptures before, you remember something about Jacob. But as you look at his life, how many of you would think, boy, that's really strange that you would name yourself by that guy. Uh, Jacob, in many ways was pathetic. And he had a long list of many false securities that he would trust in. He was dominated by his mother to the point where he would lie and cheat and steal. He went after his brother's birthright with trickery and deception. Then he thought, well, if I just have Rachel... I'll be happy. False security after false security. And it got him to the point where he was cutting deals with God. God would make a promise to him of provision. And Jacob would say, well, if you come through, maybe I'll take you as an add-on to life later. 
But God was so kind to Jacob over the years as you read that story. You see God's other name. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of protection and provision. And he never let Jacob's enemy have the final say. So towards the end of Jacob's life, there's this uh, mysterious wrestling match. Have you read this story? Jacob's about to face his greatest fear in Esau. And all of a sudden, there's this mysterious man who arrives, and there's this midnight wrestling match. And the man seems to hang out for a while with him and endure it for a little. All of a sudden, just taps his hip, and in that small touch, completely dislocates it. And here's where Jacob seems to wake up. Instead of falling away or limping away, he clings on even harder. And you know what he says to that mysterious man? He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go unless you bless me. Something's changed in Jacob's heart. He's moved from thinking of God as one more thing to add on to his life. He's moved to seeing God as the ultimate thing he needs for his life. I need you. I need you. Which is why Jacob later calls the place Peniel, which means, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob realized something. I saw God face to face. What should have happened to him? He should have been crushed. You pathetic idolater. Deny me, demean me, put everything above me. But Jacob says, I've seen him face to face, and yet, even still, my life has been delivered. I have a refuge, a refuge, I have a security, I have a help in God who owed me the opposite. So when we think of God being our refuge, God being our river, the resolve of God for his glory, it's absolutely fair to ask, how can I believe that he's my refuge? How can I know that I'm in the God is our refuge? How can I get into the city that has the river? How can I face this God who's love, who loves his glory and owes me judgment for my sin? How can I face him and then call him a refuge? And we see in Jacob's life, as God names himself the God of Jacob, we see our need for the Redeemer. In order to call God your refuge, you have to first know him as your redeemer. I want to take you to a passage in the Gospel of John. John chapter 7, if you want to turn to that. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. I think we see in a way how all of these themes, God as refuge, God as river, God's resolve, comes together in Jesus the Redeemer. The context in John 7 is a feast at the temple, the, the holy mountain, the, the locus of God's presence. And there the priest would do this thing with the water where he pours it out. It's a symbol of God's provision, God's help. And right there, at the climax of this feast, in John chapter 7, verse 37, John tells us this. 
Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me walk through some of these pieces just a little bit here. First of all, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What does your heart thirst for today? How can you know you've tapped into God as your refuge? Where are you going to find your security? Do you see what Jesus is saying to the world? If you're thirsty, where should you go? Come to me. And what an incredible invitation. He doesn't say, if you're thirsty, too bad. If you're thirsty, go away. You're not good enough. No, it's this gracious invitation to everyone. If you're thirsty, come to me. I will satisfy you. What's Jesus saying? I'll be the river of your heart. I'll be your inward security and satisfaction. No crisis can touch. I'll be that close. The text also tells us that Jesus is going to fulfill this when he sends the Holy Spirit, but not yet because Jesus had not been glorified. Friends, what do you think that means? What do you think that means? You don't get to taste this river flowing out of your heart in fullness until he's glorified. I'll tell you what it means. Where was he most glorified? On his cross and in his resurrection. And we see there not only that Jesus is our river, but he's our river as he's our refuge. What was he doing on that cross? He was providing you the only refuge you will ever find from the wrath of God you deserve for your sins. And he was providing you with the perfect refuge. Because in his perfect life and his death for every one of his people's sins and the vindication of his resurrection, if you trust in him, you can know without a doubt that all God's wrath for you is dried up, poured out, and gone. And that God's name for you changes from sinner worthy of punishment to Adopted, loved, and innocent child of God. What a refuge our Lord is. Jesus became our river by undergoing the waves of chaos and torment on the cross. Jesus went through the ultimate crisis so that we could have the stability of belonging to the Father. And he did this so that you could have God as the river of your salvation. The Holy Spirit in your heart, in the community of God's people, reminding us of the Father's love for us in Christ. And take this last moment to think of the stability we have in Christ as our refuge, our river. Think of what Paul writes in Romans 8, 28. Even as we sit through any crisis, we can know this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? 
for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Our God is in charge of all things for our good. Verse 35 of chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? What's Paul's answer to that? No. They can't separate us. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why past tense? Because we're looking back to that cross. That's the confidence of his love. So Paul says in verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that true today? Is that true forever? Is that security? You'll never find a security greater than that. Through our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, all who trust him can have God as their ultimate refuge. God is the river of their satisfaction. But you know what it does? When we taste that and we see that, God brings us into his resolve. It brings us into his resolve. What is he doing in this time? What is he always doing? What is he doing every time? But what is he doing especially in this time? He's glorifying himself. He will be exalted. And so one last question to ask ourselves before we move on. How is God going to be exalted in your mind and your heart through this moment of instability? Are you moving into trusting him? Are you moving into knowing him? Moreover, how are we as God's people going to work to bring him glory? You know how that generally works in the New Testament? The way you and I bring glory to God is to practically love our neighbor. So let's think together of what that means. What does it look like to show that we have such a a secure confidence and security in who God is for us. There we are willing to, in some way, go beyond the norm to glorify him by showing love. And in many ways, the greatest love we can show in times of instability is to share the news of where our stability comes from. It could be that in your relational network, this this little season here in the world is going to open new opportunities to talk about the big things of life. The sporting events are over. Nobody wants to sit in a movie theater. And so maybe that veneer of the shallow is pulled apart for a little bit. And you can get into deeper conversations and things that are more important. And maybe, as one of God's people, you can share that when even your stocks drop, and you're worried about your mom's health, and you're wondering what this is going to mean for the society, you can say, but you know what? In the midst of all that, it's like I have a river in the city of my heart. In the midst of all that crisis, I'm okay. How can that be? Because through Jesus, God is my refuge and my strength. 
a very present help in time of trouble. Would you like to meet that God? Would you like to have what he gives? That will glorify him. So church, I miss you. And I long for the day when we can meet together again. I hope it comes soon. But until that day, let's cling to this together. This world does not provide security. God is our refuge. God is the river of our delights. God has resolved us for his glory. And we have him in what he's doing through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I lift up to you, my dear and precious church, spread all abroad. I lift up to you those maybe listening to this message uh, in various places. I pray that you would turn our eyes to you and who you are, that we would behold the works of the Lord, not just in desolation, but also in grace, as you brought desolation upon your son for our sake. We thank you for the refuge we have in him and, that how, and the way that is poured out into our hearts through the Spirit. We, would pray that, we pray that we would live for your glory in these times in the knowledge of who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fofcrc.com.